Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 325 with John Mackey of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder Fam? Hope you are safe, healthy, you and your family are doing okay. Um, We have an incredible interview today. I'm so, so excited. Uh, We have John Mackey, the CEO and co-founder of a company that you might have heard of, especially if you're in the United States, called Whole Foods. And we just had such a great conversation around leadership and his new book called Conscious Leadership. Um, As you begin to build your company and build your team, you really start to understand the importance of leadership and really how to influence others. And I have to say, this has to be one of my most favorite interviews I've done in a while where John and I just have candid conversations. Like you're going to learn how to influence people, what to do as your company grows. Like if, you know, people are not growing at the speed that the company's developing and even like how they're handling this crisis and everything that he's doing. Like I would have thought that Whole Foods would be booming during a time like this. But um, yeah, fascinating conversation. I hope you get a ton out of it. Uh, This was really, really fun. And if you guys are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It would help us more than you can imagine. And as you guys know, we're on a mission to building a brand that helps tens of millions of people every single week with our content to help you start or grow a business 
please do share this podcast, our work with your friends. Check out our other trainings, our other videos, our other articles. We're here to help serve you however we can. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. The first question that we ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how'd you get your job? I created my job, right? I mean, entrepreneurs don't really have jobs. They have, they have passions. They have something they're trying to bring to life, something they're trying to create. So I've never thought of it as a job. I've always thought it as more of a, a passion, a mission, a purpose, you know, meaning for my life largely. I've, do, I've done Whole Foods for 42 years. Yeah. And how did that come about? How did it start? Like, you know, everyone knows Whole Foods. My mum was excited. Like every time I go to the state, she always, she loves supermarkets and she, she always wants to check out Whole Foods because you got like, she finds it an interesting thing when you travel to a country. Um, so yeah. very well known. I, obviously I do the same thing when I travel. I go look at, I look, I look <laughs> at other stores, try to get some ideas. Um, I mean, the, 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 you know, it's always a tricky thing to when you want to start an origin story. Cause you know, you could go back to the big bang, right. And mm. you work our way forward. But in this case, we'll just say that, um, when I was about 23, I moved into this vegetarian housing cooperative and, uh, I wasn't vegetarian at that time, but I was interested in kind of all things counterculture. And I just thought I'd meet some really cool people, maybe some really cool uh, women as well in a, in a vegetarian co-op. And I did. And I sort of had a food awakening at that point. I learned about healthy eating and natural foods and organic foods. I learned how to cook while I was there. And for the first time, I realized, really, I mean, I knew because I'd always been an athlete. So I knew that if you, if you worked out, you'd feel better. Yeah. But it never occurred to me that what you ate, I always thought of that was more like fuel, right? Fuel the machine. Mm-hmm. But it's actually obviously a lot more complicated than that. And your health, your vitality, your energy levels are very dependent upon what you ate. And I learned that for the first time when I moved in that cooperative. So I became the food buyer for that cooperative. And then I went to work for a small natural food store learned about retailing, came home to the co-op and talked to my girlfriend one night and said, what do you, Renee, what do you think if we open up our own store? Mm. And she loved that idea. And uh, so we did that together and co-founded the company back in 1978. Yeah. Wow. And uh, yeah, you guys are massive. Very, very well known. Um, but, so- but the way you got you know, part of success, if you're going to build something great, I mean, Part of it is your creativity and having the right idea and building a good team and all those things that we'll probably talk about. But it didn't hurt that the world was kind of starting to move this way and we were just early to the party. I mean, you could say that's true of almost all the really successful entrepreneurs. I mean, Bill Gates got into software right when there was a personal computer revolution. And Steve Jobs, uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't the first personal computer, but he he was the one that saw the potential of it being such a great tool. So I think that's true. So for so many stories. Yeah, that's true. Um, so you wrote a book that, uh, it's called conscious leadership. Funnily enough, conscious capitalism. When I went out and started founder, one of, uh, my mentors, he said, yeah, look, 
this is this is a big thing. You gotta you gotta read this conscious capitalism book, and uh, they've 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 used a lot of the principles behind conscious capitalism through their company. You might know it. Do you know Intrepid Travel? I've heard that name before, but I don't know the business. Yeah, they're one of the largest adventure travel companies in the world. Um, so yeah, that I book. Yeah. Are they are they Australian company? Uh global, but based in Australia. Uh, yeah, the H one of their HQs is in yeah the HQs in Melbourne, Australia. But um, yeah, so so well known book. You're releasing a new book called Conscious Leadership. What compelled yes. you to write that book, and what is the premise? Well. Conscious capitalism basically has four pillars to it. So the first pillar is purpose. Every business, every organization has the potential for a higher purpose that besides just maximizing profits, making money is essential to business, but it doesn't logically follow that that's why the business exists. Uh, We think that's a myth and we argue against it in conscious capitalism. Secondly, There are stakeholders in a business and they all matter and they're somewhat interdependent customers, employees, suppliers, investors, the communities that we're part of. They're all trading with the business voluntarily and they're all gaining from it. So a stakeholder philosophy is a a second pillar of conscious capitalism. Third is we need a different kind of leadership, one that is more of a servant leader that serves the higher purpose of the organization, serves the stakeholders, is attempting to make the organization, optimize the organization. And fourth, we need we need cultures that human beings can flourish in. That'll, that'll lead to more successful business, but it, we spend a lot of our times, a lot of time of our work, of our lives at work. It might as well be something we enjoy doing and that we don't hate it. I mean, a lot of statistics show that only about 30% of the people that work in a job at least in the United States, uh, are particularly engaged in it. It's just a paycheck for them. And so creating a conscious culture is one where people flourish. So you've got purpose, stakeholders, conscious leadership, and purpose. And as I, as I, as I, that was a very successful book. It's been printed all over the world. And uh, when I go talk about it, I got a lot of questions about the leadership because who's going who's gonna to go hear somebody, a business guy, talk about, Conscious capitalism are mostly people that are leaders and interested in how they can be more effective leaders. And we have two chapters in the book on leadership, and that's where I got the most questions. And so I realized, you know, we could go so much deeper on this than we went in conscious capitalism. So we basically just took that pillar of conscious leadership and we've we've expanded it into book form and gone into much deeper. It's something I felt like I had to write. It's part of why Whole Foods has been successful and you know, it's my philosophy of um, how you build a company, how you lead a company. I mean, the very thing that your your organization founder is trying to do, we talk about that in the book. Yeah. And I'm curious, during times like these, um, you know, we're both in lockdown. Um, looks like you're at the office. <laughs> I'm um, at my office. I am. But, uh, yeah, so it's starting to lift. It's late May 2020. Like this is like history in the making. Um, I'd love to hear, like, what is your take on leadership? How do you lead a company during times like these? I'll tell you, it's been difficult. It really is. Um, And Whole Foods is part of Amazon now. So 
what we've learned is that there's probably not a company in the entire world that's more under the microscope than Amazon. I mean, maybe Apple or Google, but Amazon's right up there. They are just everything Amazon, the media just pours over. So we've learned the hard way that is Whole Foods now being a subsidiary of Amazon that uh, anything Whole Foods does that might reflect badly on Amazon or the media could could blow up um, and make a big deal out of it. We have to be careful. And so that means a lot of things that Amazon does, they want Whole Foods to do. And a lot of things they don't do, they don't want Whole Foods to do. So because of the potential blowback that can occur, which which makes perfect sense if you think about it. So that's been difficult in this crisis because we have we have been um, we have to think about what's best for Whole Foods, but we also at the same time have to be thinking about what's good for Amazon. And uh, when you're in crisis, like we are, I mean, think about it. Our stores, all our team members are wearing masks every day. We're disinfecting the stores. We we're we're giving masks to customers. who encouraging them to wear masks and. We're social distancing six feet apart. Nobody's that's not the way Whole Foods was just a few months ago. We were packed stores and we limit the number of people in our stores so we people won't get too close together. It's it's been very crazy. Our prepared foods, stuff we would sell, like our salad bar, our hot big bars, those have been shut down. So it's and at the same time, our sales have exploded in other categories. So we've had supply chain challenges. So it's about how do we keep our customers healthy? How do we keep our team members healthy? How do we get the supply that we need to sell to our customers? And also uh, home delivery and pickup, those have exploded. I mean, it got so, I mean, it you know, went up, you know, 400, 500% from what they were a year ago and systems weren't geared up to handle that. So we've, we, we had to get over some, some crashes and we've had to queue people up before they could become customers. And, and adding additional capacity on it's been i mean it hasn't been fun except for one thing we are in business we were we were not shut down so i don't think people that were operating restaurants or businesses that government shut down will have much sympathy for me talking about how stressful it's been because we've we've had a we've had a busy time it's just sort of every day is a new crisis. Something's going wrong somewhere that we have to deal with. But I suppose I prefer that to basically sitting around twiddling my thumbs, hoping the government will let us open. So obviously you guys are in kind of the the, the five or 10% that have been able to thrive just uh, due to this economic change. I mean, thrive, let's, let's, let's think about that for a minute. Our sales are doing really well, but we're not making any money. It's all going really? into disinfect. Oh yeah, no. We've raised our pay. We raised our pay two dollars an hour off a high minimum wage, starting pay of fifteen dollars minimum. Plus, we've we've um, think about this for a minute. Just think about it. Just to give you an idea. So we have a hundred thousand team members that work for our company, and we give an you get a new mask every day or multiple masks because maybe you're going to, you know, throw that mask away. You might use three or four masks. So think about it. each mask costs us about 80 cents. So every single day we're going through several hundred thousand masks wow. at 80 cents a pop every day, every single day, just on mask alone. 
And then we're having to, um, uh, we quarant- we give an extra two weeks of sick pay. Anybody that contracts COVID-19 or has to quarantine. So we're paying that time for people as well. And the amount of powerful disinfectants we're using to sterilize our store every day. Um, when Amazon just reported their quarter, for example, they they had a record sales, but Jeff Bezos announced we're going to spend $4 billion next quarter trying to keep our stores and our facilities safe or safer. So it's a profitless uh, uh, time because of the additional costs that were unanticipated. Yeah, wow. You wouldn't think that, right? No, you wouldn't think it, but that's the reality. I think that's true for a lot of businesses, by the way, not just Whole Foods. I think a lot of the supermarket companies are experiencing similar things, higher higher labor cost, higher cleaning cost. They can't, um, some parts of their business are, are doing well. And also delivery is a less profitable business and people shopping in the stores because you do so much labor for them. You, you're picking it in the stores and you're packing it and then you're, you're, you're delivering it to somebody's home. And if you're a prime member at Whole Foods, if you're a prime member, you're getting all that service for free, part of your membership package. So we've had, we've seen sales transfer over from uh, in-store to more delivery and pickup. So just, it's, it's just been a very interesting time without a doubt. There's been no year of my life like 2020. I think, I think I can speak for almost everybody on the planet, right? Yeah, no, it's weird time. Yeah, no, it's been crazy. So, you know, coming back to the leadership piece, I guess, how how do you lead like during a time like this? Like, uh, should you be open and honest with how the business is going with your team? Yeah, absolutely. You have to be. You have to tell. I mean, I think you should be open and honest with your team all the time. I think if you, that's just fundamental integrity, which is one of the leadership principles we talk a lot about in conscious leadership. If you want to build trust with people, you have to tell them the truth. Sometimes you can't tell people things because the media might blow it all up and make it into a big deal. So you sometimes you have to be a little cautious in what you share, but you don't ever deceive people because telling lies is just you know, it's unethical for one thing, but it also destroys trust. And you and if you want to be a good leader, people have got to trust you. They've got to believe that what you say is true. Yeah, and. Should you open up like how how honest and open should you be around you know profitability revenue you don't because you don't want to scare people either like that they might be looking somewhere else or like looking for another job or no I mean and our sales are strong and we're not we're not laying any but we're not laying our people off um, in fact we give unlimited callouts during this time that's so anybody that doesn't feel like coming to work for any reason maybe they got a childcare issue maybe they're just nervous about uh covid-19 uh could be for any reason at all they just want to take a day off we're having unlimited callouts and uh so we, we we're not we value our team and 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 we're holding everybody together Fortunately, our sales are strong enough to be able to afford to do that. So that's, I think, a lot of companies that have been shut down. They've they've had to they've had to they've had to lay people off. They've had to, at least temporarily. And I know that we haven't had to do that. I'm thankful for that. And what are some other other principles uh, from 
your latest book, The Servant Leader, uh, that people, that are relevant to people during this time. Conscious Leadership, that's the title of the book. It'll it'll be coming out on September 15th. That's the publication date. Um, So some of the other principles, so one one is integrity and also purpose. I talked about purpose. I think a conscious leader has a strong sense of purpose and he or she is able to communicate that purpose to people on their team. And purpose tends to unite people together, brings them together. People like feeling, uh, people need to feel that their work is making a difference in the world, that they're creating value for other people. In any, any, any business, I mean, practically any business, you could think of some exceptions, but you know, 99% of what a business does is creating value for other people. So your purpose lies in your value creation, whatever that might be. I talked about integrity. Also, the second chapter in the book is called Lead with Love. And we think love is very important in business. It's in the closet. It's in the corporate closet for the most part, primarily because most of the metaphors people use to think about business are hyper-competitive metaphors, whether they're war metaphors, uh, let's roll over those guys, uh, let's kill or destroy them. Or they're, or they're sports metaphors, we're winners, they're losers, uh, we're the champions. Uh, or they're Darwinian metaphors, survival of the fittest, um, only the paranoid survive, it's a jungle out there. And those metaphors, if we think of business that way, then we don't really have a place for love. And yet love is the glue that holds the organization together. Love is what uh, will keep customers coming back again and again and again. So we think love needs to be let out of the corporate closet. And it requires us to begin thinking about the the business differently, not in terms of this hyper-competitive metaphors. It's not that competition doesn't exist in business. Of course it does. It's not that you can ignore that. But it doesn't mean that's the definition of what business is, winning or killing the other guy, the competitor. It's about creating value for your customers. And you provide jobs for your employees, you trade, you have suppliers that you're trading with, you're creating value for them and they're creating value for you. You have investors that you're trying to return, get good returns on their investment for. You have communities that you live in and you're, you're a good citizen in those communities. We have these greater responsibilities. So love is at the essence of what business is. And yet business is, is, mis, is disliked and mistrusted by most people because it's seen as just greedy and selfish and exploitative, that, that it's a bunch of greedy bastards running around, just lying in their own pockets. And so business is oftentimes condemned as somehow or another almost unethical. And so getting love and putting it at the forefront of what, what you're doing, we think is a very important aspect of conscious leadership. So those are three qualities. And we talk about Looking, for example, I'll give you a fourth one, um, finding win-win-win solutions. We have a tendency to think win-lose. I win, you lose. Or you lose, I win. But business is not about that. It's really not. That's getting back to that competition metaphor. Because customers are trading with you for their own benefit, right? Nobody nobody takes a gun and sticks it to their head and says you have to you have to trade. They're doing it because they believe it's in their best interest to do so, right? Same thing. Nobody forces people to work for you. 
they if they don't like their job, they can they can go find another job most of the time, maybe not right now in this massive layoffs that have occurred. But in general, there's competitive alternatives out there. So if you don't pay your people well enough, or you don't treat them well, they have alternatives in the marketplace. So you have to create value, a win for the employees, win for the customers, win for your employees or team members at Whole Foods, we call them. Suppliers, they don't have to trade with you either. And you don't have to buy from them. So you, you make a trade and you're both winning. So business about win, win, win. And once you start to use that as a framework, it almost serves as a complete ethical framework because you can begin to think in every situation, is anybody losing here? Is, are any of my stakeholders losing? And if somebody's losing, then maybe you don't have the best strategy there. What's a strategy that everybody can win at where everybody's better off for these trades being made? So a conscious leaders always looking for that win, win, win. Good for you. Good for me. Good for the larger community that we're all part of. Mm, I see. Conscious leaders. I can keep going on. Conscious leaders got to think long term. Uh, just making the short term win can will not pay off for very long. You have to you have to manage your business for the long term. And uh, by the way, that's one of the things I love about being part of Amazon because they think really long term. And that was when Whole Foods was independent, but a public company. It was a lot harder. We were under that quarterly earnings pressure that you hear so much about. It it really is real. When you say when you say long term, how long term and, and like would be difficult for many companies during times like this, right? Well, you can't ignore the short term. It's not like you, but I think you have to make decisions that if you sacrifice the long term for a short term gain, it'll eventually blow up on you. So you have to be looking for strategies that win in the long term, but don't kill you in the short term. So uh, you make investments that you think will pay off in the long term. For example, right now, in this very moment, we're living in what used to be considered the long term. And the companies that are really successful today made investments in the past that are really paying off today because they invested for the long term. And I've seen this for companies. A lot of companies go public. They start chasing those quarterly earnings, trying to get the stock price up, and they start making bad long-term decisions. Oh, we can't miss the quarter here. So they, they do something that they know is stupid to do over the long term, but it's going to help them right now get past this earnings. Uh, they might sell off a good business, make a profit so they can report that on their income statement, but that was a good business. They're not going to have those profits in the future. So you got to think long term and we go into that in some depth uh, and we give a lot of we give a lot of examples of, of how thinking long term pays off. And when you say um, you got to continuously learn and grow, that's another principle that we talk about in the book that we that in some ways you can view life as, a, as an opportunity to continue to learn and grow every day. If we're not learning something new, if we're not growing, if we're not taking advantage of the opportunities, then. I think we're falling behind. We're, 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 uh, life is this adventure. I see life as an adventure. This will come natural to people from Australia. Life's a darn adventure and we should make the best of it. And best way to make, make it an exciting adventure is to keep learning, keep growing, keep evolving, 
keep challenging yourself to be better and better and better. It's continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. And since we, we, everything we do in business, we do with a team, then one of the chapters we have in the book is how do you, how do you upgrade your team, constantly upgrade your team? How do you develop the team and make it better and better and better? Because ultimately you'll be no better than your team. If your team sucks, so you're going to suck too. And if your team is really good, if you hire great people and make sure they're well-trained and you empower them and they're creative, they make you look really good. A lot of my success in business has not come from me being some kind of specially wonderful genius. I just hired a lot of great people and together we've, we've built a really successful business. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about team because I think that is something that a lot of people don't talk about. They talk about the shiny tactics and strategies, but what have you done over the years to attract great talent and, and what do you look for in a person? Do you have a, a set of rules or principles when you're looking to hire? I do, actually, and um, I've gotten better at it over the years. Like any, any skill, the more you practice it, the better you tend to get I will also say that almost all the worst mistakes I've made in business, not all of them, I made some other boners, but most of the worst mistakes were people, people, bad, bad people decisions, promoting the wrong person or hiring the wrong person or being slow to recognize that somebody wasn't working out and keeping them too long. I think those are the, those are the tough decisions that a leader has to make. Uh, but what is it in answering your question? Um, I think, again, there are several things that I look for. First, since per, since I think purpose is so important, I am looking for people that are that tend to, that tend to align with the purpose of the company that that have passion for it, that um, that this is something they're not in it just to say, wow, I'm going to work for Whole Foods. This is a step up for me. I'm going to make more money. I'm looking for people that are excited about what Whole Foods is doing, what our purpose is, what our mission is, and they want to get on board and help us fulfill that mission better. So I'm looking for purpose. Obviously, I think you gotta look for intelligence, uh, not just analytical intelligence. I, I consider you gotta hire smart people. That's kind of um, uh, an ante to get into the game, but also emotional intelligence because increasingly it's all about relationships and you know, people that are jerks, they're not gonna fit well in your culture. And by the way, that adds to the next thing, which is, Will they be a good cultural fit? Because I have found a culture in an organization is a bit like an immune system. People that don't, that are in the immune system, when something comes into this, into the body that the, the body doesn't, that recognizes as an invader, the immune system is activated to destroy the invader. Similarly, cultures will begin to try to repel elements that come into it that are dissident to the culture. It tries to protect itself. So cultural fit. I, I did something recently. I did a calculation. At the last 16 executives that I've hired at senior levels, eight of them washed out because of culture. Half of them, only 50% made it. And they were all smart. And they all were passionate. And a lot of them were aligned with our purpose. They just didn't fit into Whole Foods' culture. And the culture rejected them and pushed them out. So culture, cultural fit is very important. And finally, I'd say I look for integrity. If you can't trust somebody, 
they'll screw you in the end eventually. So somebody that's that's honest, truthful, and you know wants to do the right thing. And uh, uh, if you surround yourself with people that will cut corners, eventually they're going to cut a corner on you too and hurt the organization. Yeah, I love that. Um, you talked about something that I think will resonate with leaders, and that is keeping someone too long, because it's it's yeah. the hard thing. It's you know the hard thing to to make that realization. What like what do you do there? Like, like how like, yeah. how do you avoid that? That's such a good question, Nathan. And uh, any organization that's successful and growing will outgrow some of its people. That's just that's just inevitable. And uh, what I've learned is that oftentimes somebody gets promoted because they were doing a good job, right, at their previous job. So they get promoted, but then they're not doing such a good job. They've gotten promoted over their heads. And what, a, what the organization generally does is fire them. And I just think that's such a such a terrible thing. Here's somebody's worked for you for 10 or 15 years or whatever. They've done a good job. They've been promoted maybe multiple times, but then now they've gotten a job now that they can't quite handle. You can work with them. You can try to help them get a, you do some leadership development work with them, or maybe you get them a coach or you send them to a seminar to train, but even then maybe they, they can't cut it. Well, if they've been loyal to the company and they've worked hard, the rational thing to do is not toss them overboard, but to recycle them, find another job for them where they can be successful again, because they're loyal. They care about the company. They're aligned with your culture and your purpose. They're just over their heads. Don't leave them in a position where they're going to fail. Just recycle. And that's what Whole Foods does. Now, some people's egos can't handle being demoted back to a position. But most people that most people can, if you let them save face, if you if you let them make a move that's not obviously they're not being punished or 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 look to made to look to be a failure to the rest of the organization. And I think the culture that means people when you do that too, people are willing to take some chances when they're not sure of because they know the organization has their back and not is, is not going to just throw them overboard if things, if they don't do well, right there, they'll get, they'll get another shot. Now that being said, there are times when you have to move people out. Uh, and because they're obviously incompetent and they just fail and fail and fail. And you just, you just have to move them out or there could be a breach of integrity or they've um, done something dishonest, uh, uh, and oftentimes the culture just begins to, to select people out or get rid of people. And I found one of the most valuable tools, I talk about this in, in the book some, that will really help you be a more effective leader, uh, is do 360 reviews with people. and do, do a 360 review of yourself. In a 360 review, you're going to get feedback from their peers, from their people that report to them, and also from their bosses or the people above them. And some people manage their subordinates well, but don't manage their peers well at all. They're, and, and, or some people kiss the ass of, their, of, their, of the person they're reporting to, but is a, is a monster towards everybody else. So a 360 review helps 
the leader see how other people see the people that are reporting to them. So I've seen people make major changes in their, in their leadership style and their performance by just getting that feedback from everybody around them. You can always explain away one criticism by saying, he doesn't like me. He's just, he's got it in for me. So you're learning nothing because you can just, you can just dismiss that. But if when you get feedback from a variety of people and you hear something consistently from several people that you like and respect, I mean, you don't know who they are. It's anonymous, but it's from your peers. You, you know what's coming from your peers. You know what's coming from your subordinates. That's a real wake up call. So that can really help people to learn and grow in advance. But you've got to learn how to fire people, too. And and that's always painful. If that ever becomes not painful, then you've kind of become an asshole, I think. Uh, you, you ought to check yourself in the mirror. Uh, I still, when I have to fire somebody, it's not fun. But you've got to think about what's the right decision for the organization. You can't let the whole team suffer because somebody's holding it back. You have to have the whole team flourish. And hopefully you can recycle somebody or put them somewhere else. Whole Foods is a big company. It's a lot of different op opportunities for people. In a smaller organization, that might not be possible. But um, that I just I do think it's important that you get good chemistry and you're continually making the team better. Yeah, that 360 review is gold. Um, it really is. Have you done that before yourself? No, I haven't. You should do it, man. It's it's you'll learn a lot about yourself and the people that you're, are on your team will learn a lot about themselves too. It's it's it is gold. Mm. Yeah, it, it made me think as well, kind of, I'd love, I, I we're going to have to work towards wrapping up, but I'm really enjoying this yeah. conversation. But um, look, around self, getting people to self-identify, um, your 360 review would really help with that because if you're just telling somebody, you know, this is where you need to improve, this is where, you know, we, we, we need to focus on and areas for development – versus having to go down that hard conversation path. Um, how do you get people to self-identify? Or, or is that something that you focus on when, when it, as a leader, when, when you're trying to, I guess, you know, teach and lead? Let's, let's, let's make something really clear. The best teaching you'll ever do is just how you show up every day. Whether you like it or not, everybody, if you're the leader, everybody's watching what you do what you say. So you have to lead by example. You have to be the role model. And do never believe for a second that people are going to pay much attention to what you say if you're inconsistent with your actions with what you're saying. They're going to dismiss you. We pay attention to what people do a lot more than what people say. But if we show up every day and we have, if we're a good role model and we're, and we're, we have integrity and we're also kind and caring, people are going to pay a lot more attention to what we say too. And they're going to develop trust with us over time. So that's the first thing is if you want to be an effective leader, you have to be an effective person, meaning you have to you have to be a caring person with integrity, with a strong sense of purpose. Three things I talked about that we first three chapters of our book. Um, after that. How do you help people learn and grow? Um, you develop that trusting relationship with them so they're not afraid of you. If people don't trust you, they're not they're going to have they're going to have their arms crossed. They're going to be on their guard. They're going to 
you can't get people to do very many things from fear. You can get compliance from fear, but if you really want people to get better, they can't be afraid. They have to be, you have to pull them along rather than push them through, through coercion or fear. So I think the really good leader just helps people naturally to become just like a good parent does with their kids, right? I mean, you lead by example, you give them feedback when they need it, you take corrective actions. I don't think you should treat your, your team as like their kids because they're adults. You got to treat them with respect, but you're also, you're also helping them all the time to develop. I think it's one of the most important tasks a leader has because you're no better than your team and you have to help your team get better. And that's everybody's, if you're going to be an effective leader, you're going to be a good coach. I just think that comes with the territory. But in terms of coaching, it's leading by example. Well, that's the most important thing. It's not the only thing, but if you don't get that one, the rest is not going to make that much difference. Yeah, no, true. Okay, well, look, um, John, we have to work towards wrapping up. Super mindful of your time. You've been very generous. Um, uh, two last questions. Uh, yep. One, any words of wisdom that you would like to kind of share uh, with our audience of, of early stage startup founders? And then uh, two, where's the best place people can find out more about uh, conscious leadership? So the first question, well, I can answer the second question first. So you can, the book is available. It's going to be released, at least in the United States, it'll be released on September 15th. Yep. And uh, Amazon, I'll say that's a good place to buy it from. <laughs> if you go to a Whole Foods Market store, it'll be sold there too. And obviously, I think most major bookstores will have it. And then what was your first question again, Nathan? Uh, just kind of just words of wisdom that you would With, like to share during this time period for early stage startup founders and, and leaders during this time. During this time or just in general? Are we talking COVID-19 time or just? Yeah, uh, let's, are we yeah, let's talk about this because at any point in time as a leader, you're going to fear, face adversity in some shape or form, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's your back up against the wall. Like, yeah. You know, I, I think this situation is a great reminder of what many entrepreneurs have forgotten because so many venture capitalists are so focused on just growing the top line. Mm. And you can always do another Series B, Series C, Series D. You can raise more capital and at higher valuations. It doesn't matter if you're growing, you can get a higher valuation. At a time like this, it's a great reminder. Cash flow matters. May, you know, one of the things that I learned early on, because I didn't do tons of venture capital and financing, we didn't, we got some VC money 10, 10 years after we'd been in business and we were profitable. We, we learned very early on if we wanted to grow, the best way to grow was to, was to make money and then plow it back into the business. So cash flow generation was really important. And I've seen that disappear. And the younger generation seems to be like, you know, the, what's your cash burn rate? And I was thinking at Whole Foods, what was my cash burn rate? It was nothing because we made money. I mean, that was the whole point of it, to make money so we could open more stores with our cash flow. And I just think at a time where you can't count on a series C or D or E, because look at where the kind of environment we're in. People aren't, you know. It's harder to raise money right now. So 
my word of wisdom, don't let the venture capitalist or the financiers convince you that producing cash flow is unimportant. The coronavirus, COVID-19 is teaching us and reminding us, make money, invest that, reinvest that money in your business and grow it. And you'll be less dependent on outside financiers too. And you'll, you will lose control of your business and you'll have a bigger equity stake. So if you ever do go public or sell the company, you'll make more money in the end. So that's my final word of wisdom on this one. Amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, John. You've been very generous and uh, yeah, really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks, Nathan. I hope we meet in person sometime. You take care. Me too. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.